0: hey what is going on welcome to this episode number 65 of life and lessons today you're going to hear a conversation between me and cameron rawson cameron is a dj who has played venues across the length and breadth of the country but a year ago his life was put on hold with clubs closed and events cancelled everything that cameron came to accept as normal was thrown into question Cameron has some really interesting insights into the realities of the nightlife industry and also an inspiring story about how he's used the past year really positively. In the next hour, you're going to learn what really goes on behind the scenes in a nightclub, why DJs absolutely hate taking your requests, the mental health implications of having a job that requires late nights, lonely travel and one that encourages you to drink on the job, And how a period of uncertainty such as a lockdown is a great opportunity for you to question everything you believe to be true to make some really positive changes in your life. I've known Cameron for years and yet I learned a lot from this conversation so I'm sure you're going to as well and I'm sure you're going to really enjoy it but just before we begin make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening right now. There are some absolutely insane guests booked to come on here in April and May, and I don't want you to miss those conversations. But in the meantime, here it is, episode number 65 of Life and Lessons with Cameron Rawson. So Cameron, I think the first time that we ever spoke was an absolute accident to say the least. So I was in London with Lewis Mockler. Uh, We had been out the night before uh, and then we drove to Corby to do a night out in the local nightclub. And I told Lewis that this nightclub was incredible. They played Drake, they played all of the music he liked and it was going to be a great night. Spoiler, they didn't play Drake. It was an awful night. He got kicked out uh, and the night ended very early. But on the way there on a roundabout just before we got to Corby, we somehow got talking about this, this DJ called Cameron Rawson. And he sounded like the coolest guy ever. Lewis was telling stories about uh, DJ sets you had done, nights out you had done with him. Uh, and for whatever reason, we got you on the phone. And I had heard of you and you, for whatever reason, were willing to pretend that we were already best friends. You were like, Sean, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were really welcoming. We had a little conversation the <laughs> in the car. And then we almost just decided that we were friends. Like there was never that moment where we paused and we were like, do we actually know each other? We just kind of set off as if we'd known each other for years. And then from there, we did nights out in Sheffield uh, when you were DJing, had all sorts of drunken antics. Um, And I've come to know you as a loud, outgoing DJ, right? But I want to start here because a year ago this week, your life was put on hold because a year ago this week as we all know Boris Johnson stepped out and he spoke to the nation he said that due to coronavirus things like nightclubs your industry your livelihood and your life were going to be put on hold talk me through where your mind was at in that moment Boris is on the tv your work is not going to happen for months and months and months how are you feeling at the time
1: well to start with thank you for having me on your podcast Sean uh but I had a group, well, have a group chat with a bunch of different DJs and um, we all kind of were like, oh, it's going to blow over, nothing to worry about. I mean, a lot of bars and clubs in Manchester, for example, didn't close until literally the last minute until they were forcibly forcibly closed. The majority of them tried to stay open for obvious reasons, money, talks. Um, So to start with, we were all, yeah, this is going to be going to blow over. Like I think most people thought, but then, obviously, as it kind of went on, we were like, oh, shit, okay. Hospitality was the first thing to close. So we were all like, okay, yeah. And then we were kind of like, right, by the summer, we'll be back on again. And then at summer, we were like, right, by Christmas, we'll be back on again. I mean, we were we were all hoping and expecting by New Year's Eve, we'd be, we'd be back behind the decks again because it's the highest paying night of the year for us as DJs. So we were we were all hoping that, you know what? everything will be good by new year's eve and now we're mid-march and <laughs> you know are we even gonna be back by june you know it, uh, yeah it's it it's it because we had kind of hope, hope we had hope i don't think any of us kind of we're like oh yeah it's gonna be 18 months we were all like oh it'll be three months it'll be another three months so we've all just had the idea of that. It yeah i don't know it's a weird one because As much as we all talk about it in any group chat and on a phone call with another dj it's something that we kind of all know we're excited to get back to and i don't know it's a funny one it's a funny one sean it's a funny one when was the
0: first moment that you realized early in 2020 that actually this this coronavirus thing might be real not real in a conspiracy theory sense but more like this might impact my life this might stop me from working and then also during the pandemic during the lockdown where we all thought it was going to be three weeks and then reviewed in another three weeks and maybe it might push on to a couple of months at what point did you think actually no this is this is putting my life and everything that i know
1: on hold for a, a serious amount of time i don't know if it's because i've got bad memory but i don't really remember the point when it was i i think a lot of people won't be able to remember the point and when we kind of thought oh fuck, this is real um obviously like you said not regarding the conspiracy aspect but the real real in the terms of that it's really gonna fuck everyone's lives in more ways than one. So I don't really know when I kind of had that, that, that sort of, I don't think it was overnight. I imagine it was more just a transition of a slow transition of it just becoming normal. Um as I think it has been with everyone. But I think more than other people, not to sound selfish, because that isn't what I want. I don't want to come across as being selfish here, but I feel that the hospitality industry was the first to shut and very clearly, even based on the roadmap will be the last to, to, to fully open. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a very precarious world at the best of times. So I think this is, I think it's going to question a lot of people in the future and how they, how they are within hospitality, because was it an unhygienic, uh, was it an unhygienic like sort of um, situation in the first place? a thousand people mushed together like sardines was that unhygienic i mean i imagine going forward hand gel will be a permanent requirement in any nightclub for the for the rest of time i imagine you will everyone will be forced to wash that you'll have to have the hand gel in your hands before you can go in and i imagine the temperature thing is also going to be a permanence going forward because they're two very standard things the temperature gun takes three seconds four five seconds so I imagine that would be a case of, I mean, without jumping the gun going to where I imagine we're going to go with this conversation, but something like a vaccination card might be also a requirement with nightclubs as well, but that's something, you know.
0: It's interesting that, that my slow decline into realizing that coronavirus was going to be a thing last year it can actually be plotted through um, nightlife and gigs and so on. So I remember in early February. I was in Stansted Airport flying to Berlin to see H and Lewis Capaldi. And we knew what coronavirus was at that point. But the the closest thing that felt real at that stage was queuing up for security in Stansted. And there were these posters on every uh, pillar along the queue saying about this new uh, novel coronavirus that was coming in from the Wuhan province of China and to be alert. And it was kind of like, yeah, it was a bit weird seeing that out in public. It felt a bit like it was, I don't know, a film or fiction because we just hadn't been used to this kind of stuff, but it was some A4 posters. It didn't feel very real. Fast forward two weeks uh, and I was in Paris, fortunately got to go to Berlin and Paris just before lockdown, which was great timing, absolute fluke. Um, and we were in a room of about 1500 people to see Stormzy on his tour, which eventually didn't actually happen beyond Europe. And the evening was fine, thought nothing of coronavirus. The next morning, before leaving Paris, uh, the Parisian Council or whatever it was, announced that the Paris Marathon would be cancelled because they weren't comfortable with that volume of people being together because of coronavirus. And then three and a half weeks later, the u k was in lockdown. And so just just looking back at, like you say, how, polar opposite what we've become used to in the past was you know three weeks before lockdown was announced i was in a room a sweaty crowded busy poorly ventilated room with thousands of people and now the thought of doing that now just i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel about it but yeah i think it, it it snuck up on all of us and for me i can plot that sneaking up through nightlife events
1: yeah and i think you've we've both made a raise a good point in the sense of what's it going to be like going, going forward? I mean, I'm I'm kind of worried in the sense that a nightclub, promoter, venue, bar, whatever you want to refer to them as, obviously make money through the quantity of people inside a venue. So even if 10% of those people aren't in there because of health and safety reasons, which is the, the best way of just sort of using it as an umbrella for everything is health and safety that means that how much I'm going to get paid or my fellow DJs are going to get paid is going to go down because they're not going to have the money. And again, without jumping the gun with, with, for a conversation, I imagine we're going to have later on. Something I, I worry about is that DJs are going to be the last to go back to work within hospitality because all these bars and stuff that I've been booking for outdoors in Manchester, at least are all sold out. It's all over all the local Instagram pages the majority of bars and restaurants in manchester are sold out for the foreseeable future so why would a bar or nightclub well i guess a nightclub possibly why would a bar want to go and pay x amount of money for a dj when they don't need to do that they can just play music through spotify it's a it's a waste it's a waste i mean i say it's a waste it's not because djs are great but it's wasted in the sense that they i don't know but you see what i'm saying
0: this is an interesting point to pick up on because i've always been curious um with you particularly because you're the only dj i know um lots of people want to be a dj right many many people um they have a a usb controller or they listen to some sort of dj i don't know james hype martin garrick something like that on youtube the, the guys who get enormous numbers and they think i would love to do that um lots and lots of people dj at home but the the bottom of your industry of your profession is incredibly saturated and proportionately very very few people ever make it to their first gig let alone what you do which is get gig after gig after gig night after night after night across the entire country what do you think made you stand out how did you get out of that saturated bottom and uh with the first second third foot on the ladder
1: i mean the I think there's a lot of luck involved and I think I'm very grateful when, even when we have these conversations like this or when I'm in the past, I've been drunk and I've been talking to a friend of the like, and I've been like, wow, I can't believe I get paid to do this because it's even if you're getting paid, obviously it doesn't happen, but even if you're getting paid a pound, you're still getting paid a pound to play music. Obviously it's, it's not a pound, but what I'm saying is, is that I'm very grateful for what I do. Albeit, it is at the bottom of the food chain in terms of, the money DJs can earn, you know, you, you've got, you've got DJs that can play in bars and clubs that are, are, are a non-profile. And then you've got those that have created music at a low, I mean, I say low level, like someone like Nathan Dore or James Hype will get, uh, you know, the, 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 the fees that they get, they get will, will dif- differentiate from someone like myself. But then there'll also be people who haven't produced music and have established a brand. There's a guy I know called Patrick Nazemi, who, has never released a track as far as I'm aware, but he's a resident at Ibiza Rocks. He's supported like Sean Paul on tour. He's supported Eve on tour. Like he's done all these big names, but he's never produced a song in his life. But going back to your question, um, I think it's it's just just luck really. Um, I never wanted to be a DJ ever. I was studying broadcast journalism at university, which has nothing to do with music. You know, a lot of people will go on to do music technology at university or, there's there's a bunch of different um there's a, there's a university or a school in manchester called the school of sound and recording which is like for people that want to go down the music production route and studio management and the like but i i studied broadcast journalism in university and it was literally on a whim that i was asked if i, w- I was a dj because i had a youtube channel many years ago about nine years ago uh called project cameron um and i interviewed I interviewed people who were fascinating for my YouTube channel. Um, I believe you can't find any of the footage now, um, <laughs> which, is a, which is a shame because there was some. I, I interviewed Rick Edwards, I interviewed Dynamo, I interviewed Matt Edmondson, I interviewed Charlie Sloth. Like back then, these people were were like not up and coming; they were names, but not the powerhouses they are all to, uh, you know they, they are all today. But anyway, I interviewed the founder of a large events company, I don't want to name them because I, I I may at some point say some bad things about them. So I don't want to name who they are. But I interviewed the company director. Um, and this guy uh, was, a, was a nice guy at the time. <clears throat> and we, we, we I interviewed him. And three weeks later, I was in London. He contacted me and said, Hey, man. Uh, hey, Cameron, I believe you're a DJ, aren't you? I'd never DJ'd in my life hadn't ever considered it hadn't touched the controller nothing and I was like yes I am because I was like fuck fuck it like what have I got to lose and he was like well can you get to reading tonight we'll sort you a hotel uh, we'll sort you a train and we'll we'll give you a bit of cash um and I was like sound so I got on the train to reading uh, played this night uh, a, a student night and the music um I'd never touched CDJs before first song was like the scriptor scouting for girls in a, in a freshers night in in 2000 and uh 2013 2014 uh the sound engineer came over to me and was like you've never dj'd before have you mate and i was like no never dj'd before in my life and from there weirdly the, the director of this company was like i'd like you to you have you've got a bit of charisma you 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 do enjoy being on a stage you enjoy the djing aspect would like you to get some basically his other his other djs then taught me to dj as well as me kind of doing it on as i'm playing really um so there's a massive level to look to that i guess
0: you say that but something interesting there is that you were willing to take a punt before you were qualified to do the thing that you were hired to do and i see people make the mistake over and over again in every discipline in every industry where they believe that they need to get incredible at something. They need to be perfect before they can go out and exhibit that thing, sell that thing, whatever it might be. But I think it's fair to say, particularly in your example, but in most examples, that the only way you get good at something is to begin, be not good, and develop through doing, right? And to be honest, I didn't know that story. I didn't know that that's how you started in DJing, but I stood in a booth with you, for three or four hours and watched how you pick songs, how you control a crowd, how you read the room, how you mix the tracks. And it's just amazing to think that you've learned all of that in real time whilst stood in front of people. Do you think that that additional pressure of having to learn as you go has uh, made you a better DJ?
1: Um, I, I think I think so, yeah. Because I, I, the thing is about DJing, um, to go off on a slight tangent here preemptively, um, there's no set r- rule to DJing. You know, every DJ is so different from the way they mix a song to, you know, if they've got the ability to talk between tracks, if they some keep the head down and have got no charisma on stage. And that's ironically, that's their charisma is the fact they've got no charisma and it makes it cool and edgy. Um, but then I don't know. It's, 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 I mean, amongst all my DJ friends in Manchester, we're all so different the way we mix the the tunes we would choose, play in what order um but I, I do think that i do think that the fact that i've i've kind of um from day dot was like sort of i've never i've never owned my own decks before i've only ever had a control or whatever but yeah it's it's just it's a weird one it is it's another weird one i, I don't because I've never really thought about this before. and So you're making me think about things I've not thought about before, which is good, I guess.
0: Have you ever had a fear before stepping on stage, other than that first time when you had never done it, where you thought, shit, this is a big venue, or shit, the people on this lineup or who have come before me are, are, are good? Have you ever thought, am I good enough for this? Or has it always just been, you know what, I'm going to step out there, see what happens, and so be it?
1: Um, I, I, I was about to say every single time I DJ, because... Really, even when you're DJing to just one person, I mean, if it's a venue in which they're paid entry, that is this—I don't know—you feel slightly more responsible because somebody's spent their hard-earned money to, albeit not necessarily to see me lie, but to hear the music I play. Because that's different. That's different ways of sales, obviously. Because I mean, if I was, if I was was a a name in 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 myself, in which somebody could sell a ticket because I'm playing, because Cameron Ross is playing is different to say. Cameron Rawson pe- playing seven hours of ABBA um, or seven hours of hip hop, RB, house, dance, whatever. Um, but I mean, there's been a, a bunch of times, I mean, I've, I've played, I've DJed a festival in which I went straight on after Basement Jacks. Basement Jacks closed the festival live, a live performance. And then I DJed on the stage after them to sort of like just wind down the festival. And that must've been four or 5,000 people. And I was shitting bricks. And then there's also been a time when I've I've told you and my friends, if they're listening, will know that I went to a private island off Antigua in the Caribbean two and a bit years ago to DJ for a guy who's got a net worth of three hundred million on in in his thirty five million pound house mansion. And that was, I mean, albeit it was just to him and his friends, that was also weird because there was a you know there was a lot to those. The now it was. And then I've played. There's, there's so many different places where, yeah. yeah. Which is
0: more nerve wracking, five thousand people in a field or twelve people up close?
1: Twelve people up close. And if any DJ tells you otherwise, they're lying to you because the the chances are, if if there's only twelve people, they can actually get to you and talk to you. Where which which? Don't get me started on when people can request stuff because that's that that's a that's a whole interesting thing about DJing is that. I mean, well, yeah, that I'm going up on a tangent there, but let's dive into this
0: just for a moment, because I think I understand the reason why requests are, I follow a couple of DJs. I see you speak with friends on Twitter when the friends come up and so on. Like, I understand that DJs collectively and without exception have beef with people who come up a bit drunk, swaying side to side, type into their notes a song that they want to hear oh. and just kind of force it in your direction. Talk me through why it's an issue. Talk me through why DJs hate that so much.
1: Well, I think it depends on, A, the approach, what someone's making, B, what they're asking for, and C, if they're throwing cash at you. Because, because A, if someone comes up to you and doesn't even say hello, or they, they physically touch you, I mean, I'm kind of glad, I'm mean, going to say I'm glad, I'm hoping that as a result of COVID, people are going to be less touchy-feely. Because honestly, when you're DJing, the amount of people who will literally just grab your arm, they will just grab your arm, and it's like, and it's, you know, it's not with force, but they're just grabbing your arm and it's like, or they're tapping you on the shoulder constantly, or they're like just stood next to you hovering around. If somebody walks up to you and res- with a bit of space, respectively, says, you know, once you finish mixing a song, I mean, the amount of times people will come up to you as you're mid-mix, you've got the headphones on and they tap you and go, excuse me, excuse me. Or like, they'll go, oi, oi. And it's like, fuck off. But <laughs> more, it's going back to what you asked, if somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, hey, mate, um, is there any chance you could play this song? And I'll go yes or no. And If, they, if I say no, they'll go no worries, mate, no problem. Or if I say yes, they go fantastic. But if somebody, there's so many caveats. If somebody comes up in the rude, and then they ask how long it's going to be, because it's like what do you want me to tell you? Thirteen minutes, seven minutes, um, and then and then there's it's just yeah. I mean, if they're rude or they, they keep coming back, they get the the another one is if you let someone have one song, then that's it. They think they've, they think they're DJing the whole night, so then you've got to put up with said individual then coming up you know you, you give it you give a dog a treat right um and then you've got the you've got the people who are nice and generous the amount of times i've I, I, there's been multiple occasions where somebody's come up and been like hey mate uh man or woman you know whatever come up to me giving me the 20 quid note please play this song and the the amount of times i will honestly i don't particularly like taking money from people for playing songs because i'm already getting paid to be there but then at the same time, if they're like, no, you can have it. Honestly, it's fine. Please take it. Um, you know, if it's someone I feel has the money to just throw away like that, then sure. But requests are a, are a real funny one, Sean. Real funny one.
0: Do you think people understand what a DJ actually does? Um, no. I think back to years back, I went to Newcastle to see my friend who was in university, and his friend was also a student, but DJed. He could actually have DJed at Voodoo. I think he may have DJed at some of Chris Williamson's events. Um, and Another friend of mine was watching him mix up close for the first time ever and was like, holy shit, there's so much involved. Like I thought he just pressed play on songs. Why do you, Not why, but do you think people understand um, what DJs really do? And if not, what are the common misconceptions?
1: Oh, how long have I got? Um, you know, I, I, I tend to slag off a lot of DJs because... You see a lot of DJs on Facebook Live, on Instagram and stuff like this when they release videos. And they're, they're, they're doing loads of stuff to the mixer. But as someone who, who knows how the mixer works and how a CD, CDJ works, I'm looking and going, You're doing nothing. What you're doing there is nothing. So there's a lot of DJs who overplay big time. You know, I, I whenever I'm I, I I if I'm overplaying it's ironically, I'm taking the piss. You know, if someone's watching, I'm going like that and it's just as a joke. And I'm not actually doing anything, but there's people who you can see on YouTube with like a lot of boiler rooms to be fair, but people won't call it out. There's a lot of people who genuinely are acting, they're, 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 or they're doing something so minimal it's affecting nothing. Um, but on the flip side to that, you know, people do think it's just pressing play, and but but it's going back to like the request thing, it's more than just the technical aspect, it's the sociological aspect. It's the it's the it's the, the the entire lifestyle because it is a lifestyle. You you're up late. You you're, you know the earliest most sets will finish is 3am, two, three, four, five, six in the morning, and then you know it's everything to go to go with it. I mean the 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 pressure is on you. Let's say I'm DJing um, a bar in Manchester that's a thousand capacity. The amount of times that the music's cut out and it's not my fault, but the pressure is on you. Everyone's looking at you. You're the one playing the music, so you you get booed it's a simple it's like when you've been with me in bristol sean and i'm djing to 800 people a thousand people they're all fucked but the music is like the music is is the thing the music you know, music is the answer to them and it it, it cut out
0: in bristol once i remember and that was and obviously i i was stood two or three feet behind you and even i felt the pressure i was thinking fuck like it was maybe 20 seconds but they they were some of the longest 20 seconds of my life how do you (laughs) do that
1: right yeah i mean that's you know because this is the thing right unless unless you're unless it sounds such like a dick dickhead thing to say and such a a, a, cliche thing to say but unless you're a dj like i guess with a lot of jobs you you can't relate and when people say oh you're a dj it must be so easy it really fucking isn't you know i mean let's how would you like if on your office job you have people staring at you whilst you're doing it just staring like waiting for the you know you've been set a project and you've agreed to the project and someone's just staring waiting until you've done it i.e a request or you know people you mix a song out of B, which obviously i never do but you mix a song out of B, and people are gonna notice people will notice and when you when you when you when you crash two songs together yeah it's it's i i don't I, there's a lot going on there's and there's you know i mean you've been bristol's Bristol. When you when you're playing club nights, it's quite intense. You've just got so many people around you. It's an unorthodox atmosphere. It's not normal to be surrounded by people who are pissed in a dark room, smoky room, lights on, people who are potentially high. It's it's completely abnormal. It's a, it's an abnormal. It's not it's not orthodox in any in any way. So the fact that you're then involved, you're the, the front and center of this. It's it's a lot of pressure, and I know so many DJs that. Uh, get severe anxiety before they dj even if it's to a hundred people
0: so when you're front and center what is what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened whether it's somebody who's violent somebody who's just a bit odd something you've witnessed like there must be a standout thing in your mind where you think back and you're like i can't quite believe that night happened
1: this loads i mean i was assaulted outside of a bar in manchester and had five stitches in my eyebrow um to this day don't know why because I, I was actually stone cold sober this evening as well. Um, there was another time when I was DJing in a bar in Manchester where a, a, an old lady in her fifties or sixties showed a her, showed a her, showed, her, showed me a phone, and on the notes had put as she was Spanish and on her phone she'd put something like "You are shittest DJ I've ever seen. Uh, go get lessons or quit your job." This woman's in her sixties, fifties, uh, probably sixties, in fact. Yeah. Um, there's been there's been times when um i've 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 been like i've I've had like for example a woman has come over to request a song and i've said no and then their boyfriend or husband has come over and been like the song needs to be played and i say no and then they start getting larry i've had so many people kicked out of places because of utter aggression and just total i mean what if you're in the workplace you tell your boss they'd probably get sacked you know if it was a colleague um or if it was is it, i always i always say right there's no difference be- between the dj the dj booth or a bar being the office for someone who works in hospitality even if it's someone behind the bar you know they get so much abuse people behind the bar waiters waitresses and alike, like door staff you know a lot of door staff are just really really nice people doing their job but put under so much pressure um hospitality is like you know even if you're not actually on drugs it's like being on drugs because it's just so intense it's so fast paced it's just constant you know from the moment You step into a bar or club as a DJ, promoter, staff member of any kind, it's full on until you finish.
0: I just remembered a story as you were talking there when you said about bouncers. It was maybe 2014, and we were out for the birthday of somebody from Plug in Sheffield. And so the entire security team were there. There was you, there was maybe some people from the bar, I don't know. And then I tagged along because we were going to do a night out afterwards. And so we're in this pub somewhere in Sheffield with like a dozen enormous security guards. And I go to walk out of the door with a, uh, like a pint in my hand and this guy don't know why from the top of the glass downwards, smashes the pint out of my hand and is squaring up to me. And thankfully it's never happened since, but I was shitting myself for about seven seconds. And then I before I can remember this, the entirety of that security team were just on him, and they kicked him out of a pub that they didn't work in. And that was actually the first time I've ever realised that bouncers on club doors, on pub doors, who are normally faceless, nameless people that just get abuse, are actually just nice people looking out for the best interests of the people around them. And thankfully, that night, the person they were looking out for was me, because I don't know <laughs> what would have happened if they weren't there.
1: Yeah, I, I, honestly, I've I've had I've had some brilliant nights out with door staff um and like you said there's there's a there's like a a very like sort of um i don't know if this is the right phrase but like clan-like attitude where it's like they all they all look out for for each other because they have to when they're working as well when when they're working in a bar protecting people like you and i customers from other vile customers that are there to cause trouble they're putting putting themselves on the line um I mean, obviously in the UK, it's a lot safer than a lot of other countries, but, you know, they're still there to protect us, I guess.
0: I think of a lot of nights out, actually, especially in Corby, where it's a bit rough, let's call it what it is, where I thought, like, Jesus, that was a bit scary. Have you ever been actually scared whilst working? Because you're in a situation where you're, you are you can't easily get out, but there's there's drunk, there's violent, there's unpredictable people doing something at or near you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had again going back even even for as little as something like a request i've had it before where a door a door guy one of the security team had to come up to me and say right the guys outside the front won't leave into won't leave until he sees you the police are coming down but you're gonna have to go out the back door so i've read, literally you just had to go out the back door and it sounds so bizarre saying this and it's not something I've, I've ever thought about but i guess it's kind of it's kind of been normalized in a weird way because the amount of shit that happens within hospitality and and this is why i'm like really really like hoping and kind of curious to see what's going to happen and hope i'm hoping that it's going to be like people going to have more respect for each other as a result of what's happened you know i'm hoping that when we go back to being in a nightclub or bar that people you know men aren't going to be fucking predators and you know men and women aren't going to fucking fight each other And it's just going to be i mean it's obviously a lot to ask for that people are going to be nice to each other constantly but yeah I just think I just hope people are more patient with each other and just nicer to people because I mean i've 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 you know seen some and like I mean there's, there's all sorts the amount of times that I've seen people have been dragged out because they're fighting and stuff like that like glasses smashed on their heads there was a time a woman literally took her took her heel off and literally with the heel with like the sharp point at the back the heel part literally right straight over a woman's head another woman's head um and there's all these kind of crazy shit, and it's just because it's like, it's all it's all intense and uh, and hyper hi- and and everyone's hyper, and it's just it's, ex- it's to the extremes because everyone's drunk. People are people are like I said, a lot of people take drugs, and you see people. It's so prominent in, you know, it's it's so much more prominent in nightlife than anybody will think because I can see it firsthand. You know, I can when I've been sober DJing, I can see when somebody's really fucked. Um, and it's this is the thing is like well, this is why you kind of as a DJ got to be patient with people because you know that isn't the way they are but then at the same time it's on them to be the person they are you know if they can't they can't deal with their drink or whatever um, because there's no it's very rare you'll see some, we meet someone who's the same drunk as they are sober uh, or will be as confident as they are when they're drunk when they're sober. So it's
0: surrounded by all of this and this is a thought that I had when I was considering what we should speak about in our conversation today. You've got as many as a thousand people in front of you, out with their friends, this is a big night, they've been planning it, they've been pre-drinking, they're listening to the music, they're having a great time. You've got the bouncers out front of the venue, together they know each other, they're mates and so on. You've got the bar staff who have a team around them, they're moving back and forth, they're having conversations. And then in the middle of all of that, there's you or there's another DJ. And yes, sometimes there is a second DJ in the booth or some friends or whatever. But am I right in at least assuming that sometimes, despite you being the center of attention, it can actually feel very lonely because you're the only person in the room not surrounded by friends, not there to have fun, so to speak? I know you love the job. I know you love DJing, but stood in a room on your own with no friends, no matter what the situation, must feel weird, no?
1: It's the biggest irony in the world, really, because as you've put so rightly, you are in the middle, smack bang in the middle of so many other human beings yet you're not partaking in any conversation you don't know these people and it's literally why djs drink alcohol it's it's because you know if if you're if you're drinking you're just more chilled out you know is it's why whenever i dj i beg friends to come because honestly djing by yourself it it is it is fucking lonely i mean there's places i've dj'd all over the place where i mean i I DJed in southampton uh, a, a, around um i think it was like november 2019 um and it was yeah it was the christmas ball for university of southampton and i remember this because it was such a it wasn't a great night um and i traveled four and a half hours on the train down to southampton from manchester and I DJ'd uh I went to, to my hotel went to the the university's uh, students union which was a massive fucking place by the way big fair play to them it's massive um and I DJ'd in room 2 uh despite me saying like you're paying money for me you've got to, you put a student in the main room which you're not paying and you put me in room 2 but you're paying me and you paid for all the travel and accommodation which are a completely different conversation but very bizarre and um, but anyway I traveled all this distance and uh, by myself um and then You check into the hotel. You're there by yourself. You'll eat your dinner by yourself. You'll then get in the taxi to the venue by yourself. You'll then DJ at the venue by yourself. You'll be given free drink to drink by yourself. End of the night, you then go back to the hotel by yourself. And when you're back at the hotel, you fall asleep. Next morning, you get up again. You have your breakfast. Or at this point, you've been around all these people you've spent so many so much out you know you're by yourself you're not traveling with anyone you're not working you've got no colleague and then when you when you when you head back you're on the train back on the train by yourself you know it's 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 all right if you had people there but this is the thing is that it's it's it is such a very good it's such a great point about being lonely because I can see why a lot of touring DJs, you know, a lot of them that don't really need tour managers will have tour managers because they don't want to be by themselves, because they want to drink with somebody else, because they want to party with somebody else. I mean, thankfully, whenever I've DJ'd in a, a place multiple times, I've like, I was about to say, accrued friends, but I've like, I've, I've grabbed hold of friends, I've like made friends with people, so in that way, when I go there, I can be like, yo, are you coming up, coming down, and it's just like, you know what? Well, I won't know really know anything about them in their live, but. When we when I'm DJing, it's just someone who I know. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a weird irony of just being so surrounded by so many people, and yet you're so alone. I mean, it's like I I hate to talk about it, but Avicii was was a his documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. Fucking phenomenal. I I, I feel so sorry for him and his family. He was so lonely, yet he was one of the most famous DJs and producers on the planet. You know. The majority of DJs are probably lonely. Um, I imagine the, big, the more famous ones, ironically, even more so, because I guess for them it's like, uh, who is actually my friend when you get to that point? Well,
0: and mm-hmm. what did you do to deal with that loneliness?
1: Um, I, I, I kind of mentioned about the the fact that I I kind of well I I would always ask friends to to come down. Like when I used to play at Bristol, I'd I'd have I'd invite you and then. Um, the one occasion that you came by yourself, uh, I didn't actually have anyone else there. But the majority of the time, there's people I know who will come down on the train with me or I'll meet in Bristol, or you know, there's different places I play. Like when I used to DJ for this club night where I DJ all over the country, I'd always try my best to make friends, or I would be like, Who do I know in that city? I'll invite them down just in that way. They can come on stage and hang out with me. Um, like a good friend of ours, Lewis Canner, um, who Whenever I played in Lincoln, a massive venue, engine shed, 2,500 capacity, that would be a weird one. You're playing to that many people and you're by yourself, and that's why I'd invite Lewis. Then Lewis would come down and it would be you know nice to hang out. Um, but yeah, it's a funny one because it, it, without going off on a tangent from it, it's like the whole like mental health aspect of the DJing world is very precarious.
0: Talk to me about the, I don't want to be cliche and call it the dark side of... The industry but i have many stereotypes of the nightlife industry right you've got dark rooms ran by in some cases questionable characters with cutthroat promotion companies and drugs floating around what can you tell me what can you tell anybody listening about the nightlife industry that we might think is true but we don't quite know but that you've seen first first hand? what what would surprise us about the industry that we step into every weekend but actually know so little about
1: what you think is extreme if you're not in the dj world isn't extreme i mean i remember i remember i'm not going to name the venue or anything like that but i remember djing a place in a city um not manchester uh, but i remember DJing in a place and i was backstage and this girl was just literally this was like early in the night this girl was having a fit from taking too much drugs and this was at like half 10 in the half 10 in the morning half 10 at night and this it, this girl was, you know, taking, uh, you know, she'd been taking a whole lot of drugs. But I, it, it, honestly, drugs is a massive part of the DJing world. And you know, I, I actually saw this post the other day, which was so interesting. And that is, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know if it was a government agency or it was a charity that was saying, right, people out there, both both musicians and people that go to see musicians, remember, you've not been taking drugs in an open place for the last eighteen months. Be careful, which is both a great thing they're saying that, but also such a bizarre thing that somebody's having to say that. I mean, it's such a weird situation that in itself, but it's both good and bad being said. um but g- generally, the the dark things is the the business aspect of DJing as well, like the the financial aspect. A lot of people treat you as if it's not your job. You know, the amount of times, and I can speak for every fucking DJ here, but the amount of times someone will say to you, "Yo, can you DJ this?" x event this whatever blah 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 but we can't pay you you know that's that's the big kicker um but it's yeah there's just there's just it's nowhere near as glamorous as people make it out even at the top you know you see you can see documentaries i mean unless you're someone like zed or tiesto or you know unless you're making millions a year like calvin harris with your own little farm in your garden in la then and you can be wholesome like him then it's 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 just like any other job and it's got its dark, you know, dark aspects to it.
0: So when lockdown came in, you had just lived many years of late nights of drink, maybe of drugs, of the, the absolute epitome of what people think as a DJ, right? All of that bad stuff that comes along with the job description. And then all of that was pulled away from you and so as well as the the good being pulled away not being able to work the bad was also pulled away because that somewhat toxic environment that you have to put yourself in by necessity was gone and you more than anybody else i know have made an insane set of lifestyle changes since then from the Thank the you. distance you're running week after week after week is 500k is it that you've ran since lockdown is that right
1: Yes, so since yeah April last year, about 500k. So that, um, basically quitting
0: alcohol, at least relative to before, uh, smoking a lot less, starting a podcast, just re-engaging in a completely different way. Talk to me about the, the positives of being pulled away from that industry for a temporary period of time.
1: I mean, to start with, I'm not, the word's the wrong word, but I'm, I just want to make sure that when I do re-enter that like that world again, that, that lifestyle doesn't reignite, which is something, I think that's going to be the hardest hardest test for me because it's all right, the fact that I'm not, there's, there's no bars open. I mean, you know, like I ran 5K last night, I ran 5K the night before. Is it going to be the case that when I'm back to DJing again, I'm not going to drink, I'm going to wake up at 10 a.m. the next morning after DJing until three or waking up whatever time and then going for a run before I go back to DJing, again, or am I going to be, staying up till six going to every single bar until it shuts and then rolling into bed at like 7am but in terms of the actual lifestyle changes i've made it there's this it's just you know there's, there's that sort of cliche social media meme situation where it's like if you ever feel shit about yourself look at your life a year ago or where you know look at the journey you've been on and it's it's I, whenever I look at it, I'm like, "What? What the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about?" And it's only really recently that I've been, I've been like, "Wow, okay." Like I've really gone from drinking five nights a week, binge drinking five nights a week, and I mean, we're talking. I've DJed before and had in one night two bottles of red, a bottle of spice rum, eight shots of tequila, and this isn't like a brag. This is me saying like I used to drink fucking loads, like absolutely loads. I mean, you've been there when I've drank a lot. But then I don't, I don't know how, but I'm just capable of drinking so much and, and it's it's not a good thing. But I've, you know, I've had, I've abused my body for years, both my mind and my body. Um, I mean, two years ago, my anxiety was through the fucking roof, you know? I mean, how I was able to, de- I mean, it's literally why when I DJ, even in a cold room, I would sweat because I was just so anxious, probably from the drink the night before as well and whatever, but, you know it's it's just it's just yeah i mean yeah and now and you know yesterday i ran i ran 5k in 23 it was sub 24 but it might have been sub 23 no sub 24 um 23 minutes 20 seconds or something and in my april last year i couldn't run 1.5 kilometers without i could just about run 1.5 without stopping um i mean it's just testament to how amazing bodies can be if you work them in the right way. as opposed to, literally just drink drinking. Not to, I don't. I never enjoyed a drink. I would just. I'd be like, right, okay, two pints to start with, straight down, straight down. All right, I feel I feel normal again. You know, I feel okay. I feel like I can DJ, and then, and then I'd have. You know, it's just. It's just. I have so much respect for any DJ that does not touch alcohol. So much respect.
0: So standing on this this hilltop that you've built over the past year of compounding good habits, looking back over towards those years and years of perhaps not so good habits that were formed through working in the nightlife industry. What can you point to? What things, what habits, what behaviors, and say, no matter what, I'm never going back to that. What are the red lines for you?
1: I mean, you know, in an ideal world, I'd like to be like you, Sean, and never drink alcohol you come up in so many conversations you know when i when i'm talking about how i've got a friend who's sober and they're like wait what and i'm like yeah, yeah he doesn't how old is he oh he's, he's in his mid-20s like wait what so he doesn't drink alcohol at all no 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 how long for years wait years i thought you were about to say like a month for dr- no no years and it's like you've said previously which is such an interesting point and i say this to so many people and they're like whoa like yo that's mad and that is alcohol is the only drug where you're judged for not taking it which is i mean it's true it's true the amount of times i've i mean in january this year i didn't drink for like six weeks and um when i was speaking to friends like you're not drinking i was like no no they're like wait why not and it's like a like a why not rather than oh cool mate okay what I mean, in in the in the DJ world, the amount of times that you just get alcohol thrown at you, whether it's friends bringing you drinks or whether it's uh, whether it's people who are out dancing and liking the music will come up to you and go, "Oh, here's a drink," you, you know, "You're playing our tunes," blah blah blah. It, it, it's it's so difficult to remain sober DJing. Um, I think I think going forward, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm definitely not gonna drink anywhere near as much as I did, and I'm gonna respect gonna respect myself, gonna respect the people around me, gonna respect the the people who were there to see someone DJ. I'm going to respect the people that book me more by not being a total fucking pisshead. So
0: the the, the quote that you just dropped is actually, it's like fourth hand. So... I heard on Modern Wisdom and Modern Wisdom picked it up on the interview that they did with somebody called Ed Lattimore. and He has a really interesting thought experiment and it's one that I love to drop on people because I have nothing against alcohol. We work with alcohol brands at Patter, We help to sell alcohol. All of my friends drink. It's all well and good. However, the, the interesting thought experiment that often stops people in their tracks and makes them at least reconsider their relationship with alcohol is this. If you were told today that there is a new drug on the market... And this drug will uh, enter your life now and you will consume this drug probably every single week without fail until the day you die. It will cost you tens of thousands of pounds. It will make you do things you regret doing. It will probably shorten your lifespan. It may make you seriously ill and you'll feel terrible almost without fail every morning after consuming it. Would you start taking that new drug? And overwhelmingly, people say no. And that's why I find alcohol culturally so interesting in this country and countries similar to us because we know the downsides and that
1: yet my mind that's just blown my mind a bit i was like wait what it's
0: crazy isn't it and again look I, I i say it with my hand in my heart i have no issue with people drinking and for the most part i promote it in as much as uh, andrew Tyndall put it well when he was on this podcast he works for bacardi it's his job to sell alcohol he said that alcohol should be a um, an amplifier of times in life, right? So he uses examples like, you just got a promotion, brilliant, let's pop open the champagne and amplify this good time. You just lost your job or broken up in a relationship. Let's go to the bar. Let's have a few drinks. Let's talk it over. Let's let's round the edges by uh, having some alcohol. I think the only time it, it steps over the mark is when you drink to the point where you perhaps aren't necessarily in control of your actions, or you wake up the next morning and have terrible anxiety. And I had all of these things, right? And that's why I made the, the binary decision to just say, you know what, if I can't drink responsibly, I'm just not gonna drink. Um, but I put myself in the minority of people because I don't think most people are like that. And that's not to say I had a problem. To this day, I, I absolutely don't believe I had a drinking problem, not in the slightest, but I just thought on balance, was alcohol good for me? And the answer i arrived at was no
1: so something interesting you've said there and did you said did i think i had a drinking problem firstly those that have a drinking problem don't admit to having a drinking problem and also i think it's i think it's it's a it's a scale it's a spectrum because what what you know obviously it's like something something becomes a problem when it's a problem to you i mean let's say for example I was earning 250 K a year, didn't have a family. I was drinking every single night, but still did my job. But I I was obviously doing damage to your body, even from one pint, any form of alcohol is damaging your body long-term, even the smallest amount. So is that a problem if I'm, if I'm earning all that money and I can afford to drink and I'm still doing my job, is that a problem? Even though the very same person who's drinking the same quantity is you know, falling behind in his work. Is that what makes it a problem? What, when does it become a problem? I feel like I'm defending my previous drinking, but it's like, is it, is it a problem when it affects your finances? Is it a problem when it affects you socially? Is it all of it? When does it actually become a problem?
0: It's really interesting. I've never heard anybody refer to uh, drinking or anything as a spectrum in that sense. And I think you're absolutely right. To me, it was one of those ones where the, the effects of drinking were the same every single time. It was, I would go out, I would drink, I would uh, have fun at the time. Yes, yeah, sure. But I would get home the next morning. I would like have blackouts where I couldn't remember what happened in a club or a bar for like two hours. Terrifying. Uh, I would have anxiety. And to that extent, was it a problem? Yes. But it was only a problem in the sense that it was becoming something that I didn't like. And so proactively cutting it off, I think is the, uh, the silver bullet here. Because and not to say that it would have progressed into anything more, because for the most part, I lived my life in a bloody office, right? It was rare that I went out anyway. But I just feel fortunate that me three and a half years ago had the foresight and the self-awareness to say that this isn't good for me because I don't know. Fair
1: play, by the way. Fair play because I, I think it takes I think it takes a um a real a real self-aware human to do something like that. And also the fact you've you've done so long i mean does it get easier is it is it is it hard do you ever think to yourself oh i'd love a drink or do you just there's no desire in your belly at all to go when a pub is open to go get yourself a nice bottle of vk blue or something like that
0: <laughs> uh, there's not uh, i'll explain why so it was only so i haven't drank in getting on for three and a half years but it was only about a year and a half ago that I discovered the the vast array of alcohol-free beers and so on, right? And the thing I missed most about not drinking is like a cold pint or dark fruits or something like that. But I have all of that. So I have the upside about the downside. Um, in the beginning, for me personally, for reasons similar to what you spoke about of having to stand in a DJ booth and have confidence, it was difficult to feel confident on a night out after not drinking because I would originally purchase that confidence at a bar. But in the same way that you stepped into that DJ booth the first time not knowing how to do the thing and had to learn through doing, had to learn through action, that's kind of how I've found the confidence to be like, you know what, I do not need alcohol. The The negative effects I can avoid and the positive effects I can find elsewhere by building real confidence, by building real self-esteem. Um, and I think truthfully, a lot of people, that's why they drink, right? That that's, that's the, the most common objection I get when I have the conversation of, oh, I don't drink and people say, oh, I could never do that. Why could you never do that? Ah, because ah, I just need it to have fun or I need it to have confidence. The truth is you don't, but in between that is quite a lot of uncomfortable work to reach the point where you can step into a club completely sober and have just as much fun as the drunk guy next to you.
1: So what I find interesting is when somebody says, I really fancy a drink. Right, and what I find even more interesting as a caveat to that is when they say drink, they don't mean water; they mean mm. i'll They want I want a beer, I want a fucking rum, I want a glass of wine, I want I really fancy a drink. Or I love how the we're sort of ingrained as a society that you know when you're when you're relaxing after a long day at work, you're not having a diet coke, you're not having a glass of orange juice. You're having a more more than likely if you're middle aged, you stereotype is you have a glass of wine or a whiskey or you know, it's it's just it's so amazing how alcohol has become such ingrained in everything. I mean, you you take away, let's say, alcohol didn't exist, where would we be? Do you think? I mean, do you think I, I think we'd be better off mental health wise from the offset? But you you think about how alcohol drives. I mean, it's massive that the industry, from the alcohol itself to hospitality. I mean. Alcohol is the center of everything, you know? It's like when someone says, oh, go get yourself a drink. Like, they don't mean a cup of tea. I mean, sometimes they might do. But here's the thing. When you use the comparison of tea and coffee, I
0: think that the reason that for the overwhelming majority of people, alcohol is a positive thing and a thing that should be permissible in their lives is because in the exact same way, I drink coffee for two things. Number one, because it's functional, because it makes me feel a certain way. And number two, because I enjoy the taste of it. And for the overwhelming majority of people, that's what alcohol is and that's what alcohol should be. And Andrew Tyndall speaks about this at length in his episode and he really helped clarify the thoughts that I have in that area. I don't think that alcohol is a bad thing and that surprises a lot of people when I say, oh, I haven't drank in 1,200 days or whatever it is now, I stopped counting. This is the thing, right? I think that people take things to extremes and they are exceptions to the rule, right? I don't think that the overwhelming majority of people have a problem with drinking I think that the the loud ones who get filmed on bloody traffic cops or the drink drivers who get so, filmed do you know what I mean
1: I kind of disagree with you and I'm not just doing this to to create more content here it's because <laughs> I, I I I disagree because the thing is is that you don't know what goes on behind closed doors you don't know what goes on behind in someone's noggin like what someone's thinking you know I, I the majority of us have got so many friends who are uh, have have things going on in their head um, you know, I'm sure we all do to some level. So alcohol just sort of, you know, it's it, it sort of the, the exponent, exponential, exponential, exponential uh, sort of increase in the way you feel. It's, it's, it's. I can't even think of the word, and it's the most obvious word ever. But it's, it's just made worse by alcohol. Um, so whilst I do believe that there is certain levels. To positivity to alcohol uh because a lot of a lot of happiness is around alcohol but but it's it's a, it's literally a depressant you know it, it's it's people forget that um though a little fact here tequila is one of the only alcohols in the world that is actually an upper and not a and not a depressant um probably means why, that. why the why the mexicans are so fucking happy all the time um we should just like put tequila in the, the the sort of water pipes of the entire country and we might be a happier country um yeah it's it's it's, it's alcohol is such a strange one it's, it's never going to go away it's been here since day dots it's one i guess it's one thing in life which is hasn't evolved it's just been alcohol is is always just there you know foods have changed diets have changed veganism vegetarianism pescatarian you know there's all sorts of different things within food culture but alcohol's still the same we still don't. We, we don't respect alcohol. The, you know. We we still. You know. Every, you, you, everything's around alcohol, really. Every. You can't. I can't think of one social situation where alcohol wouldn't be welcomed. You know. I'm going to my mates to play Monopoly. Oh, have you, have you got the beers? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I've got the beers. Or you know, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm having a meal tonight with a friend. Oh, what are you drinking? You know, it's like it's always what you're drinking. Like pre-drinks when you're younger, or even whatever what you're drinking. Um, it's 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 like you know, or what you're drinking. to. it's just, it's just all like around, the more I think about it, it's wild, but you know, it's, it's all, it's all booze, booze, booze. So let me ask you this then,
0: looking at who you were, say 18 months ago, right? The, the negative lifestyle traits that you have moved away from by choice to who you are today. If you had a binary choice between giving up DJing or going back to that person? And I'm not pretending that it is this black and white, but I'm really interested to hear, what would you do? Would you go back to the person you were or give up on the thing you love?
1: I'll be honest with you. I've actually had that conversation in my own head. If I, was, if I, if I knew that I, I was capable of going into a job that I truly loved, I, I, I'd, I'd be like, okay, because the, the fact is, is that it kind of comes part and parcel which is why, again, going back to what I said earlier, I've got so much respect for DJs and performers that don't drink because it is the center of everything. It's like, there's, in the DJ world and entertainment world, there's a thing called a rider, and that is the request you have made to the promoter or venue to provide you a list of, in quotation marks, requirements, what they're gonna to provide to you. 99.9% of the time, it's what bottle do you want? Do you want vodka, whiskey, or rum? It's like it's just so normal. It's like, what are you drinking? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of repeating myself a little bit here, but in, in answer to your question, it's something I've considered because in a in a perfect world I'll go back to what I do best and love. I do love DJing. I love it so much. But I got into such a horrible cycle of, you know, it's like like eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Literally, you know, I would, I would, I would wake up late in the day, like three, have like a lunch dinner, like a dinner, um, And then I would, I, I'd, I'd see where all my friends were. potentially go meet them for a drink before I started DJing. I mean, who has a drink before they start work? I can't think of anyone who's, you know, I can't think of one job where literally I can't think of one other than maybe you're a connoisseur of an alcohol. I can't think of one job where you literally, it's welcome to get drunk on the job. You know it's welcome i say drunk it's welcome to get to drink on the job not necessarily be drunk but it's welcome you know here's here's some beers wherever every, any bar i've played it's like you know the most of the time someone will come over to you and go do you want a beer and it's like please you know it's and if you say no it's like wait what now
0: so you said you would be willing to step away if you found something you love yeah it's yeah. fair to say that you have found something you love during lockdown which is podcasting right you put me to shame with the amount of guests you book with the amount of conversations you have with your podcast a blank canvas I think you're getting on for 40 episodes into it now tell me about that
1: yeah so I, I, I've in oct- well so I've always had this aspiration to be a broadcaster of sorts um but the amount of radio stations to how many people want to present on radio is the ratio now is like I've got a better chance of winning the euro millions um and I was like, you know what? I, I want to start a podcast. It's a very cliche thing to do, not having a go at you here, Sean, because you started it way before all of this. Um, you're an OG, to be fair, aren't you, really? Though I did have a podcast years ago called Cammycast in many years ago, but we won't – don't Google that, nobody, please. Thank you. Uh, it's a music-based podcast. Um, so, yeah, I, I started a podcast called A Blank Canvas where I just want oh, to speak to in- interesting people.
0: Uh, I did, I context, uh, if, if that came through in the uh if that came through in the recording i googled CammyCast and it played automatically so you may yeah, have was it? There.
1: yeah i'm gonna uh sue you for copyright sean um so yeah i just wanted to create a podcast where i could speak to interesting fascinating people basically that and it just turns out that a lot of people that i surround myself with are interesting people from djs musicians broadcasters um those in business like yourself um a bunch of different people you know and it's it's great and going forward i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna because sort of, at the moment i do two a week but i think it's a weird irony of doing two a week that because you're doing so many there's no like people aren't looking forward to the next one as much it's like when youtubers a lot of youtubers deliberately will only provide one video a week that's a good video because then it means that that person is going to thoroughly look forward to that next video. Um, so going forward, I think I'm gonna go down to one episode, fully visual, make it like, you know, something quite awesome. Um, and yes, see where it goes.
0: What have you learned in your conversations with these uh, 30 plus guests that you didn't know at the beginning of lockdown, that you know you're gonna be taking with you into life afterwards?
1: That people, despite what you may think, love talking about themselves um we've had this conversation actually because i've said to you didn't you make it was a theory an actual theory behind it so there's a
0: there's a study cited in a couple of psychology books whereby you sit down with somebody and you ask them to have a conversation with you and at the end of that conversation they will rate how good of a conversationalist you are now without fail the more that person speaks the more talking they do the better conversationalist they rate you. And I think that proves beyond any reasonable doubt that we love speaking about ourselves and that the more we speak about ourselves, the more we think that conversation went well, which is very interesting, but go on, sorry.
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I, guess, I guess what I've learned is that people, uh, people are smarter than you think they are. Um, what I like is the fact that everybody's doing their own thing. Um, everybody's living their own life. Everybody's learning a lot uh i'm interesting because a question i ask every single one of my guests is what they'd paint on a blank canvas and it's always interesting to what they as as to what they'd paint a lot of them a lot of it's wholesome a lot of it's like yo that's a bit like okay cool um and you know what you you get to 40 episodes of interviewing people and you, you understand that just because somebody is interesting doesn't mean they'll provide interesting conversation um I've spoken to a lot of people, and on the face of it, it's like this should be a wild conversation. And then you get to the end, and it was a slog. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to name the people, like the pe- people or persons or whatever. Um, But yeah, you you just sort of like, you know. And but then at the same time, you could get someone on who I'm like who I who I ask, and I'm like, I don't think they're a particularly interesting person per se. But I know the conversation is going to be super exciting, and they won't stop talking which is what the podcast is all about you want someone who has this charisma i mean obviously the bigger podcasts the guests they book will have been media trained in the past if they're a big actor or stuff like that so they know and they're by them in themselves charismatic because of the result of their job and a lot of the people i have on it's the first time being on a podcast so that can work in my favor because they're happy just to talk about anything or they may be quite reserved um but yeah, it's 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 wild. Well, I think I've interviewed forty people. But yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, as I'm sure you you know, I I enjoy talking to people. It's it's a, you know, it's the most human aspect is communicating with one another.
0: I had both extremes of that media training um, when I recorded the first four episodes of this podcast. So the first four uh, interview episodes. Uh, so uh, Tom Harwood who is incredibly media-trained, about to go and work for GB News as a television news anchor, presenter, whatever you want to call it, the most media-trained guy. And then half an hour later, in walks Ryan Merton, who had never done a podcast before. And actually, both of them, for those exact reasons, were brilliant. Does that make sense? Tom knew the game perfectly, but Ryan was so genuine because this was just a conversation to him and not a a uh, thing looked at through the paradigm of this is going to be broadcast that actually i think that those two extremes are maybe the best if somebody's in the middle mm, i don't know
1: yeah i totally agree with that um i i so i i had um the drummer from bastille uh who are a pretty big band uh on as my second episode and i i you know what Woody's it chris wood is a, is a brilliant man he's very talented. I don't know if it was because of me. It could be my fault, but it was very difficult conversation. Um, and I, I think that is just, you know, you can be media trained to the to the the highest level, but if you aren't willing to talk with someone, if you lack certain things, you know, it's it, I don't know. It's it's a weird one, but yeah, like you made a great example of the fact that someone who someone who is heavily media trained versus someone who isn't, you can get both both a great conversation out of both people
0: so if people want to hear your great conversations if they want to go and listen to a blank canvas or find you on social media where can people find you
1: uh they search life and lessons by sean spooner <laughs> now you can search a blank canvas uh or a blank canvas pod.com that's the best way to find people um i did originally have at cameron on twitter uh as i think i don't know if you may know um but i, quick-
0: I literally just discovered that when i googled
1: so very funny story here very very much a tangent but so i had at cameron um around 10 years ago and one of the original support staff called a guy called charles i had a beta invite to spotify um and i gave this guy a beta invite to spotify in place of me getting at cameron which then four years later i sold for two and a half thousand dollars and it broke the terms and conditions of Twitter. So the person that bought it off me then got the account banned instantly for buying because I don't know how they got wind of it, but the, the the account was banned. And then Cameron Winklevoss of Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss now has that Cameron and I believe he probably just pulled a few strings. So there's if I went onto my profile now from 2010, there's tweets from my friends being like, Hey Cam, what are you up to? Which I mean, if you search it, it should come up on Cameron Winklev Cameron Winklevoss's mentions. Um That's but yeah terrible. anyway complete complete and utter tangent there uh yeah a blank canvas pod.com is where you can find everything and you'll be able to listen to an episode of me and sean on my my podcast very close into the future um yeah amazing thank you for
0: this this has been a very long time coming i'm glad we've done it and yeah it was good thanks
1: thank you very much man had a lot of fun